Note that even if Section 702 lapses in the end of December, the intelligence community will remain able to conduct 702 collection and queries until April 11th, 2024. And by the way, that's just even setting aside Article 1 authority, which the President of the United States can go exercise, um, but under the current FISC certification. Number two, if the NDAA is passed with the FISA extension, as I said before, to April 19th, 2024, it will enable the Biden administration to seek another year-long certification, which would kick it until April of 2025. Both of those points have been independently corroborated by CRS attorneys as recently as August of this year and by Trump administration attorneys under similar circumstances as reported in the New York Times in 2017, an article uh, that uh, laid that out in the New York Times. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, folks. That was Congressman Chip Roy talking uh, about the uh, FISA 702 extension that was snuck into the National Defense Authorization Act by the U.S. Senate yesterday and then voted on and passed today uh, by, the, uh, uh, by the U.S. House of Representatives. It's very disappointing. 147 Republicans in the House voted for that NDAA. Uh, so there are 147 Republicans and uh, all but 31 Republicans in the Senate uh, that agree that the FBI should be able to surveil you and confiscate your digital papers and anything else, really, uh, because if they can do the digital stuff, they can just come right on in to your papers in the mail and those kind of things without a warrant. Uh, and that's exactly what the colonists revolted against once you got past the tax issue that the Boston Tea Party uh, was all about, uh, was, uh, was the government, their own government, uh, taking away their rights to be secure in their homes and their papers. And this is the equivalent of that. Uh, now, this is a test show. We've been off the air uh, for a few weeks now, and, uh, but we're back. And uh, we are going to have a show next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern with uh, guest, uh, former assistant uh, attorney general, Jeff Clark. Uh, yes, that Jeff Clark of Center for Renewing America that was arrested and publicly uh, tried. They, they tried to publicly shame him when they arrested him early one morning with a big tactical team and all that stuff. He's going to be our guest next week, and we're excited about it. I got to meet him at the at the big New York Young Republicans uh, Club Gala that Mr. Trump, uh, President Trump spoke at uh, last Saturday. And uh, we're excited to have him on the show and uh, to get to engage with the Live Spaces audience and have folks be able to see him and hear from him directly in, in this audience. So uh, the other thing we're doing with this particular show is it's dedicated to the Spaces Live audience. I see there's a lot of folks coming in right now. And uh, let's talk about this. FISA and uh, Section 702 and uh, what we can do about it, because obviously the U.S. Congress doesn't have enough of us in it to stop it at this point. Over to you guys, Shell and Kat. Thank you for hosting. I'm just going to jump in there because you know I got something to say about it. Hey, I can tell you one of the representatives that did not vote Yes on this is Corey Mills out of Florida. He sent me his tweet explaining why he would not, how it originally, when they proposed all this, it was, it had a lot of meat on it and the Senate uh, totally watered it down and added and did not, did not adhere to the um, taking the, redoing the FISA. They totally screwed it up. So he was like, I'm sorry. He goes, this is not 
this is not what we set out for. And he voted no on it. So I was, I was proud to retweet that for you. He sent me the tweet. I was very happy that he did that. It's like, so Florida people, you have a good representative that is looking out for you 100%. Yeah, I saw his name was not on the list uh, when I tweeted out the list of yeses uh, that we saw from the House uh, earlier today. Uh, and that's good news. I got to meet him, too, this last weekend in person. I mean, we kind of know each other through Twitter uh, and that kind of stuff. But uh, we got to meet in person. And, uh, uh, you know, it's always good to put faces together and, and shake hands and chat face to face without the digits being in between you. And uh, uh, he's as good a man as he appears to be. Uh, obviously, actions speak louder than words, right? Definitely. I see a hand up. Truth, jump on in there, man. What's going on, Colonel? Truth. Uh, How you doing, brother? We're doing some Patriot stuff, so here I am. Here's what <laughs> you do. You don't conform. It's tyranny, like the Restrict Act, 702 surveillance, continue at the FISA. You don't conform. You call your local representative. You keep calling. You leave messages like a uh, infomercial, pesky little ads. You keep bothering them. And finally, Colonel, we do what you suggested with me. We got to get over the fear. Got to let them know we've had enough and we're not going away. That's what you do. Thank you. Yep, you're absolutely right, brother. Uh, we cannot let the fear keep us from exercising our rights. Uh, you know, I mean, those of us with military backgrounds and law enforcement backgrounds, we, uh, we talk about exercising our rights, getting in people's faces, letting our voices be heard. But you, you'll probably notice that none of us ever advocates to go to war with uh, fellow Americans. It's not our side that wants to do that, folks. It's not our side that wants to break stuff. Uh, and burn things down or blow things up. Uh, but it is our side that under, understands the reason for the Second Amendment, and we are the most heavily armed and resourced with ammo and food and water of any population group in the United States of America. So for all you lefties out there that want to advocate for violence, you better think twice about it. Because while we were we are exercising our rights uh, by seeking redress of grievances from the federal government at every other level of government in the United States, which is our right and our right to assemble peacefully, if you come and try to make violence on us, we will be ready for you. So I'd advise you not to do that. I'd advise you to love us, fellow Americans, as we love you. And I'm talking to you, lefty commies out there, because uh, you are way beyond redemption if you don't turn around and become an American again. Who's next? Going to get me you know, fired I up. I can't keep my mouth shut. I was going to say, you know what I'm a little bit stunned about and what I already heard this morning um, was, okay, like the, it's the whole thing about the all of free speech, all the things that we've, we always talk about as constitutionalists the fact that there is a bunch of people that are cheering i'm like sort of pivoting off it but it's the same thing people that are cheering about the expulsion of george santos and it's like mm. you guys are you serious right now he was not given due process his court date isn't until next year 
and they they expelled him because I think personally I don't think they liked him. He wouldn't carry water for either side. And I think that they said, you know what, you're out. We're going to expel you. And the people that think it's a good thing, they bump their head. It's like, well, I don't know. Look at Menendez. Look at look at Swalwell still in there. Look at Ship that's still in there. Um, yeah. They did, and uh, Bob Menendez has a much bigger um, uh, impact on national security than George Santos could ever have hoped to. And yet here, there he is, just like fat and happy up in D.C., just throwing it out there. Oh, yeah. They, they don't like him. And when I say they, I mean, uh, let's start with the left, Kat. Uh, the left doesn't like him because they're apparently pro-war now. Uh, and, and just that little uh, that little piece I heard from George before he left the space and, and when I first came on this morning, uh, uh, you know, adamantly opposed to uh, foreign military sales, uh, sending our hard-earned tax dollars to countries that hate us, giving them arms. Uh, so that they can kill our people and kidnap our people. Uh, we're doing that, uh, folks. Uh, but the Uniparty folks and the left, and especially the left right now, uh, uh, hates people that are opposed to that. I, I'm opposed to uh, sending our hard-earned dollars to countries that hate us and are going to use them to kill us and, uh, and hurt our kids and those kind of things. Uh, uh, myself, and I've run on that. So I know I've taken the the spears and arrows, not just from the left, but from the media and then the Uniparty. Uh, let's walk on over to the Republicans in the Uniparty, like Mitch McConnell and those 147, probably not all of them, because a lot of Republicans in that 147 probably feel like, well, uh, I'm in a district that, uh, and keep in mind, these guys in the House run every two years. So they're always in political in election mode uh, and looking out for that. So there are quite a few of them in that 147, and I'm not making an excuse for them. I'm just saying that are looking at it pragmatically and saying, well, if I vote against a national defense authorization, I'm going to get the crap beat out of me and lose. And remember, all politicians in office, their number one priority is what, ladies and gentlemen? It's to get reelected. It's nothing else. It's no country, no liberty, no constituents, no voter uh, uh, fraud or voter integrity. None of that stuff matters to them. Okay, uh, so just always remember that. Uh, and so some of them probably voted for that for that reason. But then there's the probably 120 plus, at least 119. You can go back and look at the last few votes where the these Republicans went with Democrats to do things like get rid of George Santos. Uh, those folks are the neocons, the warmongers, the, the Republicans that are uh, in lockstep with the Democrats that are now the pro-war party. OK, and a lot of them, unfortunately, are military people. They don't have the guts, the courage, the cojones, whatever you want to call it, to stand up and say, look, I can't vote for this NDAA. Let's get it cleaned up and then we'll get, then we'll vote for it. They actually think they have to vote for that NDAA with the FISA stuff in it because they believe the FISA is protecting us. Well, look, I was in the Pentagon on 9-11. I helped put the response together, studied who attacked us, okay, did the intelligence analysis uh, with other folks, action officers there. And I'm telling you, FISA is not doing anything except for hurting American citizens. It's a root of a poisonous tree. It was intended and still says it's intended to look outwardly at foreign adversaries uh, to be able to look at those folks without a warrant by the FBI. But there's a little section of it that allows them to 
look at Americans that are incidentally caught up in it, that's been totally abused, totally 100% disgustingly abused. And I can't believe like people like Ted Cruz from Texas voted for it yesterday. I just can't believe it. It's un- he better not ever, ever say he's a constitutional conservative eh, while he's running for office again. And not in my earshot because I'm calling him out on it. Because FISA does not help. If you go ask the FBI, I gave an interview to the Daily Caller Foundation today. Jason Cohen called me uh, about this issue. Uh, and I said, Here, here's the truth. Because uh, he, he asked me this question. Don't you think it's, it's you know, people are saying you're, we're not going to be safe. It's, it has stopped terrorist attacks. Well, I said, I said, you go ask the FBI. Have you ever noticed that the FBI never tells you specific massive terrorist attacks that this thing has helped them stop? Not one. Not one specific incident. Not one that you can, you can uh, uh, confirm. Okay? Not a single one. And then, you know what Jason said to me? He goes, yeah, I called him and asked him that very question. I have no response. Okay. It is the root of a poisonous tree of tyranny is what FISA is. It must go. And every politician that voted for it this time has to go. If your congressman voted for it and it, he, does, he or she doesn't have a primary opponent, go file. Even if you're, there's no chance in hell you're going to win, go file and make them spend the resources and more importantly, do the messaging. So you see what they say and you can talk back against it because you'll get an instant platform. There will be some local media that will call you and ask for your comment. That'll be your opportunity to get our message out. And our, when I say our, I'm talking about the American citizens, the voting public, the taxpaying American citizens. Our message is that, no, this is antithetical to the United States of America's very existence, the FISA. Act. It needs to go all of it. The court, everything. There's no way in hell Americans should be subjected to a secret court in any way whatsoever, collected incidentally or not. And we know they're collecting on us intentionally now using this bill. Anyway, I'll let some other folks talk. I don't know. I kind of like that heat coming from you, Colonel. I ain't gonna lie. But we got truth up next, and then we're gonna go to Ben, and then we got our friend Whip in here today. Oh, good. Hey, Shelly, you had something. You had your hand up before me, and I could go after these other hands. They haven't spoke yet. But, uh, oh, he actually point. he actually covered it. As soon as I raised my hand, I was going to ask him the question about this integrity issue that we're having up there. And uh, he actually covered it. Truth, so you go right on ahead. Okay, well, I'm going to add this to add to the Colonel Manus because I can't let him uh, get all heated without me. I uh, just can't do it. And uh, can't, you're not alone. At least I don't have to use spell check in space. Uh, but I digress. Uh, anyway, you know, listen, folks, look at uh, what they did at 9-11 with the Patriot Act. They're turning around and they're bragging about it, using it against the American people. Look at the folks still locked up from J6. That's number one. Number two, they just turned the FCC against the founder of this platform, X, Mm -hmm. Mr. Musk. Yes. So the colonel is 
exactly right. This has to be rooted out, gotten rid of. This is not what a sovereign republic in the kind of laws a sovereign republic should have, period. It's not going to go, is it, Colonel? Hard no. pass, hard no. It's a hard no. It's a hard no. It has to be a hard no. It has to be a hard no, folks. Uh, is there anybody in here that thinks otherwise? Because I'm happy to, to give you the time to uh, uh, justify it. Okay, I who's don't next? think we have any takers. <laughs> <laughs> who's next? Ben, jump in there, honey. Ben. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks, everybody. Um, Colonel, quick question for you. Uh, so I actually had said this years past, kind of before I was really paying attention to things. But what would you say to people who use the argument uh, where they're like, oh, well, I've got nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything wrong. So I don't really care if they're looking at my stuff. Uh, what would you uh, what would you say? Plus, it's good, you know, just a daily conversation if we do encounter people who do have that uh, viewpoint. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Uh, one of the first questions, well, the first question I ask him is, can you say that in, in Russian? Because the Soviet Union citizens use that all the time on each other. Well, if you have nothing to hide, then you don't have anything to worry about. Now, remember, they lived in the same country where the founder of the KGB, I believe it was, paraphrasing him now, said, you show me the uh, show me the man and I'll show you the crime because I'll make it up, essentially. Okay? That's the issue. The issue isn't whether you have anything to hide. The issue is whether the government is going to have the power to look through your papers, your lives, your phone calls, your text messages, your social media likes, and find the crime that they're looking for, even though you haven't committed a crime. That's the issue. Should the government have that power? Well, that issue was settled. It's right there in the Fourth Amendment. And I'll remind you, the first ten amendments of the Bill of Rights are not a Bill of Rights to, uh, uh, to tell you what your rights are. They are a Bill of Rights to tell the government, keep your damn hands off of these. And we can't let this government continue to do this. We've got to do everything within our power legally and aggressively to remove this law from the land and to get out the people that have supported this law. Get them out of our government. They have power over us that they shouldn't have. So that's how I answer that is, well, you should learn how to say that in Russian because the Soviet citizens said that to each other too. And that's not what the Fourth Amendment is all about. It's about government power and whether it should have it or not. And it's a settled issue, folks. It's a settled issue. I can't believe that nobody's been able to get it to the Supreme Court yet. Or if they have, the court hasn't ruled against this law. And that's a, that's a whole other issue, this silliness about standing, et cetera, when, when talking about constitutional issues for 
for the Supreme Court to make decisions on is a whole other issue that needs to be fixed uh, because it's bullshit for, for them to say that Texas didn't have standing in the election fraud lawsuit uh, that they were bringing against Pennsylvania in 2020 is bullshit. It was a cowardly move by Justice Roberts to keep from having to hear the case. The Supreme Court was invented when states have issues with other states. And it, but it's up to us to change this government and get these people out, get them rooted out and replace them with people that will follow the really follow the Constitution instead of give it lip service. I think you'd be surprised at how many uh, people in the elect, elected federal office have never even read the damn Constitution. Don't even know what's in it. Anyway, I hope I answered your question and I went too long because I'm Thank you, sir. Yeah, you did. It. You got it. Thank you. That's a scary thought, Colonel, that Which they wouldn't one? know the Constitution and never read it. That's just, whoa. Uh, I guarantee it, the 435 plus 100 in the Senate, uh, the 535 in Washington, D.C., I bet 10% of them have not read the Constitution. That's 100% truth, Ms. Shelley. Yeah. But I guarantee you they read Animal Farm by George Orwell after the leftist. <laughs> Some animals are you know, better than others. Hey, Wib, jump in there, honey. Then after that, Colonel, I'd like to introduce you, if you haven't met him yet, to Eric Stevenson. He is running in North Carolina for Congress. We'll have a little conversation with him. Sure. Hey, Colonel, long time no chat. Uh, I've been sick as a dog since the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, so... I, I had two things, two quick things. Have you heard about Section 702, where they have expanded the definition of what a service provider is and who the three-letter agencies can go to and force them to provide data and logs to them in, in uh, investigating, quote-unquote, crimes? Yeah, that was in so, this new bill, wasn't it? It was. It, it was specifically referenced to me as Section Seven Hundred Two. Yeah, that's a FISA Section Seven Hundred Two, which it, which gives authority for the FBI to surveil American citizens, essentially. Well, but it, it expands it. Yeah. So before before service providers were met like Meta or Google mm -hmm. or uh, your ISP. Now the the definition has changed, so it can be the coffee shop that provides Wi-Fi service yes. to you. It can be the computer repairman, or, or the nerd herd, or the uh, you know the, the geek squad that comes to repair your computer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if and, they snuck that into this bill, uh, but I do believe Biden signed an, the ex an executive order not too long ago that does expand it. Yeah. And and my big thing, when you're talking about the legislation, legislators, uh, both the Senate and the congressmen. Is, so I work in cybersecurity and there is a paradigm in cybersecurity that if you're constantly up against deadlines, you're not doing your job right. Yeah. 
and, and everything that they are passing is a is an emergency. We've got to pass this tonight, or else it's you know, or else the government shuts down, or Grandma is not going to get her social security check. It's like, why wasn't this hammered out months ago? But they do it purposely so that it takes the power away from us to provide our input. Correct. Correct. Uh, that's why you hear people like me, Thomas Massey, Chip Roy, uh, all the liberty-minded constitutional conservatives, whether we're in our office or not, uh, we are adamant about returning Congress to regular order. The phrase regular order, when you hear that coming from us, it's about returning to beyond 30 years ago when they started using these continuing resolutions and omnibus bills uh, that generate those emergency deadlines uh, and everything. Uh, regular order is 12 appropriations bills plus a budget. There's a schedule for that that gives you plenty of time to where the budget is being passed in August uh, and all the appropriations bills have been through committee, been debated. You get much better legislation and you don't get legislation like this NDAA that still has woke stuff in it. I know my Senator Roger Wicker said that one of his bills about ending woke ideology in the in the DOD got into that bill, but that's BS. Go look at what it really does. It doesn't do that. They also did not put in, they left out actually of what the House passed, uh, the protection, the adamant protection for those that refused the vaccine on religious grounds uh, uh, or medical grounds and that were discharged without cause, without appropriate cause anyway, legal cause. Uh, uh, and uh, they left those protections out of this NDAA bill. Uh, so it's much weaker uh, than it, the House version. And, I, and I'm going to add, because this is this one's special to me, the Reconciliation Monument that the uh, the renaming commission that are going, you know, is trying to take out all vestiges of the U.S. Confederacy uh, and everything. Uh, that Reconciliation Monument is was designed by Ezekiel Moses, a Jewish uh, man, artist, uh, was a graduate, I think, of BMI. Uh, yes, he was in the Confederacy, but it's about reconciliation. Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat president, dedicated the monument about reconciling the North and the South part of the United States. The renaming commission, and it's in the cemetery. They're not supposed to touch it, according to the bill. That was actually an amendment from Andrew Clyde from Georgia in there to stop them. But they left it out in the Senate. So I got off on a little tangent there, but uh, call your representatives today, you know, uh, and write them an email. Let them know you're pissed about this and be specific about why. And let them know that you're going to go out and recruit or you're going to run against them in the primary. Because they have to be told. You're either going to do what you're supposed to do according to the Constitution of the United States and stop this legislating tyranny and getting away with it, or we're going to remove you and you'll never be allowed to have the levers of power again. All right, Colonel Manus. You have all the tangents you want. It's your show. <laughs> all right, let's go to the next video. Okay. Because this uh, is going to piss you off, too. Uh, I'm going to practice a little transition sound here.
enter uh, the findings and the crosstabs from a nationwide poll of military veterans by the American Principles Project into the congressional record so that you and anyone else in the public can actually access these results. This poll, which we can all read, found that 73% of veterans believe that the U.S. military has become too political regarding race, gender, and sexuality. Even worse, a quarter of the veterans would tell a young person not to enlist. And when those veterans were asked to explain why, in their own words, the most common reason was politics. So why do you think those results are so different between the Army Pulse Survey and another publicly available uh, survey? Why, why would it tell a different story? I, I'm not familiar with the survey that you're referring to. It may be sort of sample size questions. I'm, I'm just not sure. But, but I will say that um, we're looking across these surveys, and I'm, I'm worried about all of those barriers that they cite. Um, and so I don't think we should, again, this is a multifaceted issue, and I think we need to have a multifaceted multi solution that addresses those concerns or misperceptions that people have. Um, so I welcome any so, additional So th this really recent survey says it clearly politics, DEI, Mm -hmm. Wokeness is a problem. Um, how, what's the Army doing to change that perception about politics being a, a recruitment barrier? Well, I think all of us, um, you know, in, in the military, um, all of us share this responsibility to be apolitical. What, what's the Army doing about it? So I think, I mean, we, we are demonstrating that we are being apolitical. Um, I think how? Our, our policies are, are really centered around our service members. Um, maintaining readiness, first and foremost, quality of life issues, um, and trying to really get the message out about, again, the value of service. So you're telling us that you're trying to express that the Army is apolitical, but how are you doing it? How are you doing that differently? How are you doing that to, to um, address the issue that so many people are claiming is a, is a real reason that people aren't joining the army. So I, I'm not sure why there is an underlying perception that we are political. Um, I, I don't know what that is. And I think we need to dig into that more. Well, that was uh, Representative Jim Banks. Uh, and the female voice you heard uh, was Agnes Schaefer. I think she's Secretary of the Army. Uh, and uh, notice she denied, denied, denied uh, the numbers that Mr. Banks uh, threw out there, 73% of veterans in this country believe the Army uh, and the Department of Defense are now too political, especially on gender ideology, trans ideology, race ideology. Uh, and uh, it's not just the folks in the service, it's the folks coming into the service, the service academies, boot camp, basic training, all of them are being indoctrinated in these political ideologies of the left. It's cultural Marxist ideology. So anyway, I just wanted to show that video, get some, get y'all's take on it. Uh, but I do have to say that I do have a sponsor right now. MyPillow is my sponsor. If you go to MyPillow and you're going to buy anything from them, use Manus, M-A-N-E-S-S, -S, as your promo code. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, so I still have that one sponsor and I'm going to have another one here soon. Uh, uh, Patriot cigars. 
uh, is going to be a sponsor, I believe, once we get all the details worked on that. Anyway, who's next? You actually have another one coming, Colonel. You awesome. don't even know it. Awesome. You have another sponsor. God EMP is good. Shield. Who's that? EMP Shield. And if I could be rude, sorry, Cat. Love you, Shelly. I'm going to quote Jared Salente with that young lady's answer. B -b -b Bullshit. <laughs> That it is. Who's next? Thanks, Truth. We got AJ up. Thank you very much for the mic. Uh, the second clip was quite uh, hilarious, considering the fact that she said she was looking over those surveys that she also was not aware of, all in one sentence. That right there tells you everything that you need to know, and the fact that she is, you know, she is the she is the thing that she claims that she isn't. So, but uh, yeah. the reason I asked for the mic, uh, Colonel, what are the realities when it comes to anything like the, the FISA, the NDAA, the Patriot Act, so forth? These things having some sort of renewal uh, count where they can, however, the, uh, however often they get renewed annually or every three years or whatever it is they should have a they would have a count where it cannot be renewed more than once or twice or three times etc depending on their cycle so that if they have to renew it but they can't because the count is out it would force them legislatively to turn back into the drawing board because anybody with a single you know uh, brain cell can tell you that the circumstances that required the patriot act and the circumstances in which we live right now, uh, they do not coincide. And the dynamics are different globally and domestically. With that, I yield. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, you know, sunset clauses that include, uh, you, cannot, you know, you can't renew this act more than twice uh, when it comes up on sunset. That's a great idea. I'll, uh, I'll talk to people that I know about it. Uh, you talk, you do that too. Send it to your representatives. Everybody, if you agree with us, you know, uh, send it to your representatives. Uh, there's a, a app. Uh, I think I talked about it this morning. Let me find it on my phone so I get the, the term right. But Bannon's uh, CFO, Grace Chong, created it. It's called uh, Bill Blaster. Bill Blaster, all one word. Download that. And you can get the email and phone number of any congressman or senator. Uh, that you want to, uh, real easy. You just type their last name in and it'll bring them up. Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, I agree with you. Totally agree with you. Uh, you know, the uh, and, and the FISA court, the secret court's been around a while. It's Section 702 that was created after 9-11 to give the FBI this ability to, uh, uh, to look at incidentally collected American data uh, when they're incident to spying on foreign, because FISA stands for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. It's intended to be looking out for phone calls and email traffic, that kind of stuff coming in from foreign adversaries, potential foreign adversaries, and then be able to follow what they're doing. If you think about the 9-11 hijackers uh, and the, the countries involved supporting them and those kinds of things, you can get a picture of what they were getting at. But the FISA courts, I think, has been around longer than that, and it's got to go. When when they did falsified warrant requests, FISA warrant requests uh, on on people like Carter Page and George Papadopoulos, 
in order to and Mike Flynn and President Trump, okay, they falsified those requests so the judge would approve it, so they could spy on the Trump campaign in 2015 and 2016. That's it. Done. Period. It's got to go. We cannot have a law like that. We cannot have a secret court like that. That is Soviet, communist Chinese, Nazi Germany, you name it. Whatever authoritarian you know, political scheme you want to name, all of them have it. We should not have that in the United States of America. This is the land that people are supposed to want to come to because it's supposed to be the last bastion of freedom. And we have lost it today. We are not a bastion of freedom today. We must do everything in our power as citizens to regain that. And the only way to do that is to repeal FISA altogether, 100%. Get a warrant. Do your jobs, intel agencies and FBI. Find the probable cause. It's there. You know it's there. Anyway, I thought we were talking about military people thinking the DOD's gone political, but I went back to FISA because it's so important. With FISA in place, the military doesn't really matter. Who's next? We're going to go over here to Grizzly. Grizzly, if you could wrap it up quickly, sir. I'm going to introduce him to Mr. Eric Stevenson. Just real fast, I just want a couple of comments. I didn't know if I hope. I just want to. Say, I'm glad to see Colonel Cat and Shell back on here. It's pretty nice. I like this is my midday fix here. I love it. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say, did you see the interview with Laura Logan and uh, Clay Higgins? Freaking amazing! Yeah, I did. I that did. was dude. I cried a couple times because man, that dude's. I, I seen he was had tears in his eyes. I don't know if y'all seen the same thing. That is a, a bastion of freaking hope for us people because you hear what he said he's been here two and a half years and he's just now getting information how sick is it up there mm -hmm. and the next thing colonel i don't know if you noticed they had that freaking satan deal in iowa a navy seal or a navy guy come over and knocked the head off of it destroyed it and they, they, they arrested him god bless that man for having every how the heck you're gonna have a satanic freaking deal in a, a state capital oh somebody stuff. went after it the, a Navy guy did. I posted it in the purple pill. I, okay. I, I, it's in there. All right. I posted it. You can read it. Yeah. But he went and destroyed it, and they arrested him. But God I'm bless sure. that man. Yeah, God bless him. We're not advocating for violence, but, you know, uh, Jack Basoba's been covering that Satan thing uh, quite a bit the last 48 hours, and uh, he's posted the phone number to the governor's office. The interesting thing about that is that our country's laws are not designed to protect uh, that under religious freedom. It's not a religion. Even if the IRS, as some people have said, approved it as a religious organization under 501c3 or a tax-exempt organization, Satanism is not a religion under the auspices of the Constitution of the United States and the right to uh, worship freely as, uh, as you see fit. It is not. And the Republicans, especially, that are saying it's a freedom of religion, freedom of speech issue, are just flat out wrong. Our entire system is built on, under a Judeo-Christian concept. And you can debate whether it's a Christian nation or blah, blah, blah. But the laws are written under the Judeo-Christian tradition and concept. They're, that is antithetical to the freedom of religion idea that the founders put in place in the First Amendment, or that we have traditionally. So uh, 
uh, I was afraid somebody was going to do that because uh, people were talking about it on social media. And uh, I hope the guy doesn't get put in prison for 10 years for being a seditious terrorist, uh, a domestic violent extremist like they're doing to the MAGA grandmas and grandpas. It looks like they just charged him with the misdemeanor. But, you know, I yeah. loved what Trump said in his speech yesterday. We're going to get back to God, preaching, praying to God. I, I mean, that freaking yeah. touched my heart when he said that. Yeah. He's on a, he's on a roll right now. What was the other piece you, you brought up, Grizzly, before we talked about the Satan thing? Clay Higgins. Yeah. His, uh, yeah, that was amazing. 37 minutes. And, uh, dude, I'm telling you, that guy right there, dude. If you that's their vice president, and I'm saying Clay Higgins 2028. 20, that's what I'm saying because man, that guy is flat about it. You know, did you hear what he said when you come and arrest somebody? He goes, Man, I wasn't there just to make their life miserable. He talked about rehabilitation right there yeah. off the start, man. That's just yeah. that dude's a blessing. That's one of the reasons why I supported him in Louisiana when he first ran for office. Now, I have opposed him in, 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 in uh, more recent elections because I want him to do more, he needs to do more. Uh, uh, and take care of his constituents and everything. And, uh, uh, and I've seen since that last election in 22, uh, that, uh, he is doing more. So I'm glad to see it. I love the guy. I think he's, uh, uh he's a great American. And, and, uh, more importantly is he's one of those people that at his heart, he is a constitutionalist, although he, he, he likes big spending bills. I'm going to be honest about that. Uh, but I also know that his heart is in the right place. He loves his country. and. Uh, so I can live with the other piece uh, and, uh, you know, and debate with them and stuff like that. But uh, we got to have men and women like that in, in our Congress. Because he'll fight this 702 stuff. All right, Colonel. I want to introduce you to Mr. Eric Stevenson. He is running for Congress in the state of North Carolina. Go ahead, Mr. Eric. Hey, thank you, Shell, for that wonderful introduction. Um, nice to meet you, Colonel. I'm a Navy guy myself, spent 20 years in the Navy, uh, retired in 2012 and actually worked on um, Fort Bragg for about six years and two years with the Social Security Administration. One thing I'll tell you about when I worked at the Social Security Administration, um, I actually worked in one of two places in the world where they make Social Security cards. There's only two places, Baltimore, Maryland and Durham, North Carolina. And what I saw was a trend of certain names that were making cards. So I would see over 30,000 cards a day for two years mm-hmm. and i you know my finger was on the pulse of these names like why am i seeing so many names of this nature y'all can kind of figure out where i'm going with that and um even on uh fort bragg um let me back up on recruiting duty was my last duty station in fayetteville for six years mm-hmm. and i was there when the paperwork started changing the questions that we could ask the lowering of the standards and in military recruiting they would tell us go find me a bumg that's called it's b-u-m-g that stands for black upper mental group or they would say humg hispanic upper mental group mm-hmm. they would tell you the zip codes to go into because there's data obviously there's data of schools we know that certain schools uh perform better in certain neighborhoods and that was literally our mission was a race mission and i'm thinking i'm meeting all kind of white kids at the school <laughs> yeah. and i'm bringing them in for an interview they're qualified some of them are navy seal qualified uh nuclear program qualified Mm -hmm. and they weren't interested in those kids so i'm perplexed as an american wrapped in an american flag aka the uniform and i got all these white kids that are gravitating to me at the schools when i go to them and i can't help them because we're looking for black upper middle group hispanic upper middle group or whatever the mission was 
mm-hmm. for that month. Yeah. So um, I wanted to put that out there that, yes, race, and this was in 2008 to 2012. So it's gotten way worse since then, since I left uh, recruiting duties. It's, it, was, it was all about race then, and it continues to be that. And to fast forward to here in North Carolina, I'm running for Congress. You know, I'm, I'm going up, well, I was going up against, if I were to get through the primaries, um, Wally Nickel in District 13. He announced today that because of gerrymandering here in North Carolina, he's decided that, you know, he can't win the race. And now he's going to run for the Senate in 2025. But he made that announcement today. And what I'm finding on the Republican side, there are probably eight other people that's running uh, against me. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them, um, I know the rules say you don't have to be from North Carolina. You don't have to live in the district when you run. But it's, it feels like an opportunistic district because there's no big name. This is Richard Hudson's former former area. When the, when the lines got changed, he got moved out of the area that I'm in. And now there's no big name on the Republican side. So there's no incumbent? Now there's no incumbent because while the Nicholas is a Democrat incumbent, he just said he's not seeking re-election. So I'm sure they'll put somebody up, but literally there's no there's no incumbent now. It's it's like wide a wide open opportunity. And I'm I'm seeing commercials on my phone, on CNN, on Fox. I'm seeing commercials for candidates, you know, that don't even live in the district. And I, I feel like, okay, I know the rules say you don't have to live here. But like I live here, I care about these. I grew up in a house with a tin roof and an outhouse. The first bathroom we had was in fourth grade when we moved into the projects of Durham, North Carolina. Anytime the projects is an upgrade, that says a whole lot. I mean, we used to go to school, look forward to going to school because that's where we ate at. We didn't eat when we came home. We ate school breakfast and school lunch. Yeah. You know, and but we were able to climb out of poverty. My mom worked two jobs. She went back to school, got her education. We climbed out of poverty month by month, year by year. And I grew up in, I had an epiphany the other day. I realized that the two neighborhoods I lived in in Durham, the two housing projects, had no fathers. It was probably neighborhoods of four to 500 uh, single moms with multiple kids. Mm -hmm. That's what I grew up in. And I made it. I'm able to vote regardless of what the lines are. You know, so all this race baiting stuff has never worked for me. I've always sought knowledge, like, why are they saying black people are disenfranchised and we don't have the opportunity to vote? I went and registered and me and my wife, we go vote every cycle. Yeah. So, I, so now that I'm running, it's like, I, I haven't had a warm reception, so to speak, you know, cause I'm, I'm new to politics, but I'm not new to life and how to solve problems as a leader in the military and as a leader on Fort Bragg, um, mm-hmm. in the federal government, I'm not new to that. Um, so what, I guess what I'm kind of leaning towards you and anybody that's listening, you know, if you have, people here in North Carolina um, that would love to support a candidate like myself and help get me to where I need to be. We know it takes money. We know it takes support. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love any advice, uh, any people you can connect me with, because I believe I have a legitimate chance to win. If people like AOC can make it, <laughs> I'll just stop there. I'm not going to give uh, any uh, other D- examples. DM me, Eric. D- DM, thank you for your service, first of all. Uh, but yes, uh, and and you sound like you were being apologetic about the Navy. Look, I was trained by the Navy in EOD school <laughs> when I was 17. So, and my oldest son is uh, a former uh, Navy petty officer. So, uh, and still right, works right. for the Navy as a contractor, doing the same thing he was doing in F-18 maintenance. But uh, anyway, yeah. DM me at a good email address, please. 
uh, and if, if for some reason you can't uh, can't DM me, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll make sure I follow on your your account and everything. You should be able to DM me, and then we'll uh, I'll communicate with you on my secure email, and uh, we'll uh, uh, get you uh, to fill out the uh, survey of my pack, which is GatorPack G A T O R P A C dot com, uh, and okay. the survey is uh, right next to the Veterans Leadership Fund logo on the on the front page there. But yeah, it's, right. uh, uh, you're never going to be welcome. Okay, <laughs> I, I can tell that you are not a carpetbagger though, because you sound like a North, you, you have a North Carolina accent. Uh, the Manus oh, yeah. family, <laughs> the, my ancestors came out of uh, Robbins, North Carolina, and Moore County. Uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Moore County. Yeah. So I know what that accent sounds like. Uh, but uh, so so, uh, but the Republicans are never going to be wel- welcoming to you. But now's a good opportunity. There's no incumbent. Uh, you're local. You're from that area. You got to keep. I'm the local guy. Keep that at the front of your message. I'm the local guy. I've served my country. Here's what I here's what I think we need to do. Uh, that kind of thing. Start with that and raise money. That's the two things you need to get your message perfected. Uh, and yeah. uh, and raise money right now. That's the main thing you need to do is raise money so you can be doing those text messages and mailers and that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to to doing that. And um, I've been going around, you know, on my own dime because I believe mm-hmm. in saving the soul of my state and my country. And and you know, I, I guess when you're a politician, you got to tout yourself. And I know I'm a moral man. Um, I walked away from a hundred thousand dollar job on Fort Bragg to become a stay at home dad um, during the pandemic because I had a one year old and a five year old. And me and my wife made the decision that, hey, you know, we want to keep the kids at home. We were so it was an uncertain time. So I'm not driven by money at all. You know, I live on a meager salary from my retirement, my military retirement. And, you know, I put stuff back on the shelf when I go to the grocery store. Even now, I, I have a transportation company where I take people an hour away to the airport. You know what I'm saying? Like I work. I I under, I'm from the poorest. I understand the working class. I understand the military. I'm a disabled veteran. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm the most well-rounded candidate in District 13. It's just a matter of being discovered. And what you just said, I'm going to take it in. And I, I just DM'd you uh, my information as well. Okay. All right. I'll be in touch. Thank you so much for running. It's people like you that we need. That's why I ran for office because uh, much like you, my daddy was a master sergeant in the air force i mean he had four sons we, we were poor you know uh and uh so that's where i come up from and uh he came up from uh you know he dropped out of high school at age 16 because his farmer daddy couldn't feed them all he had 12 kids that he couldn't feed so he went in the army national guard at first and then later the air force active duty so well folks i'm gonna have to run thank you so much cat and shell and for the audience and everything for uh, coming into the first uh, live uh, Rob Mana show in three weeks, produced right here in the Rob Mana show studios. For Actually, a, so I couldn't raise my hand. Now. Sorry, so I was just waving. So uh, I actually wanted to ro- ask Rob uh, a couple of questions, um, in particular uh, about his uh, his death, the death of Harvard. I, I wanted to ask him why he thinks it's very um, important that uh, Harvard to, to go down for what's happening now recently, as opposed to what's been happening for the past few years. So, you know, uh, uh, regular Americans, you know, everybody else, you know, it could be a whites, Asians, Hispanic. I'm sorry. I didn't understand your question. Can you say it again? You got cut off for a second. 
Hey, no worries. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, I got you. Go ahead. Hey, so yeah, I seen your um, on your website, uh, the death of Harvard. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to know why is it so like important now that uh, to remove gay over something, you know, that's uh, anti-Semitic or whatever, uh, opposed to what's been happening for the past, you know, six, seven years on all these Ivy League schools. Uh, you know, the timing, uh, the timing of it, uh, and I wrote that article, that's my latest opinion piece. Uh, I've written two articles on, on the subject, uh, the one calling for her to resign. And that was after her inability, along with the other two uh, presidents from Penn and MIT, her, their inability to, to put moral clarity into the questions uh, from a, the anti-Semitic perspective. And not necessarily anti-Semitic, but allowing people to make threats and intimidate other students on campus. And it has nothing to do with the First Amendment. Remember, that's all about the government not being able to do something for you. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and the history of Harvard and MIT and Penn uh, is that, uh, is that uh, they will strike you down if you're a white male or, or a white woman uh, and you even uh, use their pronouns wrong. And then the, then the second piece is about plagiarism. Look, I'm a, I, I'm a graduate of the Kennedy School at Harvard University. So I know that if I plagiarize something, even in a, in a blue book uh, written exam test uh, and didn't cite it, I would be kicked out of that school. As a matter of fact, President Gay has expelled people for plagiarism. And it's clear that she's plagiarized. The people that are her victims are coming forward and they're renowned PhDs, college professors, uh, business people, and those kind of things. So uh, that's where the death of Harvard came from, is that they have refused to fire this woman for plagiarism. Get beyond the whole anti-Semitic thing and the lack of moral clarity and the answers to the questions that they tried to give in front of Congress that generated my first article. But this is very important to me as a graduate. Harvard is supposed to be the, it is the oldest and most respected institution of higher learning in the United States of America and in large part of the world. It no longer is if it will, if it will accept plagiarism to prevent from hiring or from firing a diversity hire. They have taken a path to go with critical race theory, cultural ideology, Marxism in support of this president over their own academic standards, which are my academic standards as a graduate. The most prominent diploma on my wall is my Harvard diploma. So you're damn right. The, the timing is extremely critical. Harvard is committing institutional suicide if they don't reverse themselves and fire this person and start looking for a president that will lead that school out of this doldrums of, uh, of complacency, incompetence, and cheating, because that's what plagiarism is. And as a graduate, that pisses me off. Hey, folks, I got to run. Thank you so much. Thank you for the question uh, and all of your interaction today. Thank you, Cat and Shell, for hosting me. Thank you for having me on, Rob. Have a great day. I'll see you Wednesday, December 20th, 4 p.m. Eastern, right back here.